Welcome, Jimmy Estrich. Part of our conversation, we started talking about what does it mean to buy the dip? I hear that a lot. It's being made fun of on TV with commercials. I don't know if it's Ameritrade or somebody is, is just spoofing that, but it is a thing. If you knew something was going to go down and then pop back up, you'd want to buy the dip. So Jimmy and I bat that around. That's in this episode. Uh, thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com. Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huxton Scott Auctions, Panini, Upper Deck, and Tops. So here it is, uh, my discussion with Jimmy. Hope you enjoy. When I started out, people thought I was crazy, but they thought I was crazy because nobody else was doing it. Okay. Right. Whereas you could think somebody's crazy if everybody's doing it and you jump in. So uh-huh. you're having your niche, but who are your competitors? Like I said, I didn't have anybody to copy. So they had the luxury of trying to invent some things, but you're in there and it's a crowded space. Mm-hmm. To figure out how to differentiate, but who's out there that you consider your competitors uh, on the high end or the low end because they're all over the place. As far as competitive store wise, I don't run into a lot of competition. I guess store wise as much as like the individuals. I don't know if you know Sasha T. He has a pretty large following. We buy a lot of the same stuff. He does, I guess, he does do a better job as far as like the content side, being able to storytell his buying trips, what he's buying, what he's selling. So I think that's where he has his biggest advantage right now. He has a large YouTube subscription, a hard community, 75,000 subscribers, pretty decent. So ideally, we'd like to eventually, you know, get to that point where we'll be able to storytell a little bit, share some of that information, because I think that's important for a lot of our followers to see the face behind retro booming and like the decisions that are being made. I think that's important from a community aspect, which I think they're doing it like Sasha and I'm trying to think of a couple others that do well. Slapstocks does well as far as their content goes. So I think that's definitely something I can probably improve on is being able to storytell that a little bit and what our day-to-day process is. But those are probably, you know, two of the quote unquote bigger, because they don't really break. They don't really break either. They're more of just like the buying and selling what they're going to move into next kind of thing. They're more from an investment side than like an entertainment uh, side. So I guess that's where I don't know if you want to call them competition as much as goals of where I want to shift my brand a little bit and get out there a little bit more. But what you didn't say is competing on price. Okay, you know, yeah. These cards right. can be commoditized. I'm just wondering, you could thin out your margin, but even if you had the best price, if you don't have a lot of eyeballs and people in your community that are looking at your stuff and it's just a good deal for a few people, but it doesn't sound like you're competing on price. You're competing on the curation that you're. Yeah picking out stuff that you have an eye to say, hey, I can bring this to my community and sell it and I can make money and they should do well. Sure. But that's kind of, yeah, that's a good point. It makes it more viral. I made this amount of money. So you don't have any aspiration to be the cheapest or have the thinnest margin. It's to be the stickiest community. Yeah, that's why I think eventually my thing right now is I want to create that stickiness, like you said, get those followers, those loyal followers, which I do have a lot of already, but I want to continue to build that because I think once you have that foundation and then you're just able to go into a lot of different avenues, once you have that loyal quote unquote fan base or follower base, then no matter which direction you go, you have that following, which I think is very important. So yeah, right now I don't run into a lot of competition as far as has it for this price. I guess if you run into more of the liquid stuff of selling Lucas at this price for base prism 10, you might run into some of that. But like on a lot of the cards, like you said, it's like maybe within 50, 75, $100. But at the end of the day, if you've already done business before, like that peace of mind to a lot of buyers, as far as me as well, means a lot. So I think that kind of helps as well too. You've been doing it less than a year and a half. So it's, it's been a year plus. And uh, my my close friend for many decades, Kit Young, who's got a great vintage business, he finds that his greatest source of inventory is is former customers former buyers. In fact, he'll have people that bought stuff from him 
10, 20, 30 years ago and then come back and sell it to him, you know, now or in right, the they're ready to move on from you it. Have it or you have some churning where somebody's buying from you, had a good experience, and then they get ready to sell or they move on or whatever, or just the price has gone up so much. How much? Because again, that's shows success in the right the, the personal and story aspects of it, the soft side of it. Sure. So are you having that? Yeah, not as much as, hey, I bought this PSA 10 from you a year ago, like you said, and hey, I'm ready to resell it now. A lot of that stuff they're still holding on to, but I'm seeing a lot more people, if I post, hey, I'm buying this card currently, like on my Instagram story, I'm definitely finding like a lot of those people that I've either sold to or I've bought from in the past when they see that. And maybe they know of a friend that has that card for sale or they know of an account that has that. I'm definitely seeing a lot more like people tagging me in the sale saying, hey, Jimmy, check this out. I know you're looking for this card. So I've definitely started to see a lot of that where people are looking out for me as far as what I'm buying or if they have a, if they have someone they know is buying you know, Zions and I'm selling Zions, they'll message me and say, hey, message my buddy, Rick. He's looking to buy five of these. You have them for sale. So I've definitely started to see a lot of that. I have started to see some people are starting to get their old collections out and reaching out to me first as far as, hey, what should I do with this stuff? Is this stuff worth anything? That's fine with me. I'd like to be their initial point of contact because usually I can pretty quickly figure out what's in there, if it's worth even looking at for grading, if it's worth just selling in bulk. So I've started to see that as well. Maybe not as much, hey, I'm ready to sell my slab that I bought from you a year ago, but definitely, like I said, I'm starting to see the word of mouth spread as far as, hey, you've got this for sale. I got a friend looking for this or or vice versa. So I've definitely started to see the uh, advantage of that so far. I'm going to give you a piece of blanket advice that I give to collectors sometimes, and I want you to shoot it down or clarify if you think. And yeah. Don't buy what you don't understand. Do you think that's good advice? I do personally, because you don't want to get yourself into, you want to do the homework first. I tell people that no matter what they're buying, do your homework first, especially if you're looking at something that you don't know, I would stay away from it until you do know. That's just personally how I approach things. So if I'm looking at a collection and I have a lot of questions about it. I don't know the value of things. It's, you know, a lot of the stuff in there isn't familiar. I personally would obviously reach out to someone that knows more than me and is maybe more familiar with that and get their opinion on things. But I think that is good advice because I think a lot of times people will look at like a large collection and see thousands of cards and oh, I'm getting it for 250 bucks. But at the end of the day, if those are all worthless cards and it's going to take more time than what are you getting out of it? I could definitely see that where that's beneficial advice. There's two ways you could have answered that. One is answering it for yourself and the other is answering it for your customers. So for yourself, you answered it. I'm not saying it's a quiz, but I hear what you're saying. But for your customers, especially the new customers that are coming in, their adage needs to be, don't buy what Jimmy doesn't understand. It needs to be, if Jimmy's checked it out, if Retro Boomin has checked it out, then I don't need to understand it because I trust who I'm buying it from. And that's always the sure. case in the industry because like you said, if you don't understand it, you're going to go do the research. But once you've done the research, then you're in effect standing behind this card. Like you're saying, the Venerlandis, the, the Pele cards and things like that. People yeah. can't easily do all the research, but if you've done it and you become a trusted place and you continue to earn that trust, then they say, you know what? I don't fully understand this, but Jimmy shot straight with me for these others. I'm going to do it. Now, again, I think they still ought to do the homework. I'm in agreement with you. Mm-hmm. Some of my better deals that I've done over the many decades have been things I didn't understand. Sure. That I thought I got, I got it in a low enough price that I thought there's got to be some gold nuggets in here somewhere. You found it in the last box. Well, that's a great point. Let's see. What about people that say buy the dip? 
I say that myself personally. Yeah, but there's it's by the big dip, by the little dip, by the future dip. If you're right. buying the dip, you'd be sitting around waiting to buy for the last sure. 12 months. Yeah. Sure. I guess that quote or that phrase can be taken many ways. I guess it should come with a clarification after you say that because I look at it from you know my experience. So I kind of know, quote unquote, when to you know buy the dip on my end. But I guess from the outside, they really don't. Like you said, it's like anything else. I just keep waiting and waiting and hope it just bottoms out. But 99% of the time, it never does. But I say as far as buy the dip, like I look at, say, like a three-month chart of the card. If I see it plateauing for like typically about two or three weeks straight where it's in that same price area, typically, not every time, but usually what happens at the end of that, it doesn't go down, it goes up. So it'll plateau for about two or three weeks, and then you'll start to see a rise. Will you see a huge rise? I can't you know, say, but typically that's what happens. You start to see an increase after that two to three week plateau. So when I'm buying things, when I say buy the dip, I'm not buying a Luca PSA 10 Prism at 2000. I'd be buying them now or two, three weeks ago when they were at like $1,100. That's a good time to buy. Why? Because in the, if you look at the chart in like the last season, they've never really dipped below that. Even in the off season last year, they never really got lower than that. So I feel comfortable buying that because that's like the floor of the card, essentially. 2000, 2100 is like the ceiling of the card. So I would never buy, obviously, something like that card for $1,600, $1,800 plus. When I say buy the dip, the way I look at it, I'm buying it $1,100, $1,200 a piece because even if it's not this season, maybe next season, the season after that card will get back to $2K, $2,500. So I guess when I say buy the dip, yeah, it should come with some clarification. But usually when I say buy the dip, I'm usually referring it to a picture that I'm posting so they know what I'm buying. So I guess that would help correlate between the buy the dip and what I'm buying, except for just giving out that false hope. If somebody came to you and said, I've got a net worth of X and I want to put it all into sports cards, would you discourage them? Or would you say, hey, I'm your man? These are alternative investments, which many sure. people feel should be 10% of your portfolio. And yet in this huge bull market, you would have wanted it to be more. But what, right. what, what would you do if somebody comes up and <laughs> says they wanted to liquidate everything and put it in cards. If that's truly their question, if you know that's really everything they have is their goal is to, to liquidate that into cards, obviously I'd make sure I ask them is that this is truly everything that you have. I wouldn't obviously advise putting everything into cards just because I wouldn't say putting 100% into anything is healthy. Your eggs in one basket. Now, as far as you know, him investing, it's up to what he feels comfortable with. That's why I leave that aspect up to them. I don't want to, you know, personally say this is how much of your finances you should be spending on cards because honestly, I think that ends up being a personal decision. But as far as someone saying this is everything I have, I'm totally liquid. I want to put it all into cards. Obviously, I would say keep some of that for cash, emergency fund, things like that. I don't know. That's up to them as far as the percentage goes. I wouldn't say put it all in, obviously, but I would help them out as far as being able to create a, a balanced portfolio where they feel safe and they feel like they don't have to hold their breath every time Zion goes out because they have their whole life savings in, in Zion rookie cards. You know what I mean? I'd put probably a good caution in something steady, maybe slower investing, but something where they have it available. That's the follow-up because that same person that wants to go all in thinks diversification is a dirty word. They may be all in with Zion or all sure. in with Luca. And you know, Luca appears to be rationally in terms of his injury potential and they're both young. Um, right to be the better. But if somebody said, I'm, I'm going to go all in for Luca, even Luca, who looks like he's going to be an enduring great. Sure. Uh, that's still, but diversification into other sports and other players, but it, it, the passion of the hobby is not about diversification. I think that's a 
big thing where if you're looking at this from how can I make money, you're not just looking at it from a collection standpoint where I'm going to collect every Zion card I can. I don't really care about the return value. I'm a pure collector. You know, that's obviously different. But most people, even the collectors, they don't want their collection to go down, obviously. They want their you know collection to still go up, even if they're not looking at it from a full-on investment standpoint. I think you need to take your fanhood out of the equation a little bit where take the emotional connection or that emotional tie out of it. If you're a huge Dallas fan and you feel like you need to invest all your money into Luca, maybe take a step back and say, now, is that the best investment choice or is that kind of my passionate fandom getting the best of me? Where I look at the prism, the modern stuff, like your Lucas, your Zions, your Jaya trades is more of like your day trading, like in the stock market where you need to be aware of current price day to day. You need to be aware of injury status. You need to be aware of all the news of the team, et cetera. But if you start investing, obviously, in Jordan, Kobe autos, and even LeBron at this point, where he's starting to submit himself as one of those top three kind of players where there's not much he can... I know his prices have come down a little bit recently, but I mean, over time, I don't think there's much that he can really do that's going to make his prices drop. The advice I say is don't put all your money... I know it's not obviously what anyone wants to hear all in the Zion, but I like to tell them, hey, look at these longer term guys, all these Jordan rookies, these Kobe autos, there's just not going to be any more of. And I want to try and get them to look at that as like an Apple stock where you may not see a huge increase from week to week in the next month, two, three, six months, usually you see a nice steady rise just because of the scarcity rarity and just there's not, not much they can do to really affect their prices. I would definitely suggest staying away from just one modern player, even though Lucas seems to be, if I'm going to invest in one modern, Lucas seems to be the best one just because of what he's proven so far, his injury or lack of injuries, quote unquote. That's what I would try and shoot for as far as showing the big picture. I know it's hard to take yourself out of that fandom and, and just buy Zion Lucas, but there's more to it than that. So what, what, cause I asked you about investment advice. You were saying that, but really what you're trying to say is that it, for a, a veteran hobbyist, it's common sense. Sure. You follow the sport, you follow cards, you see what's going on and you're just passing on your wisdom, which is not like it's some financially regulated uh, investment advisor. Right. Advice. Right. Right. Just giving your opinions. Yeah. Sure. That's, that's what I'm boiled down to, Jimmy. So, right. I get that. The man in the 